Do you ever get to the end of the day and feel like you've been busy all day, but you feel like you've accomplished nothing or, or at the most very little? If you've ever felt this way, you are not alone. In fact, many, many people feel this way. Most of those who are in what we would call white collar professions actually feel this way. The reason for this, according to Cal Newport, who is a professor, an associate professor at Georgetown University in computer science, is because our work, he says, is filtered through a distracted mind. A distracted mind. In Newport's most recent book, A World Without Email, Newport cites study after study that explores the decreased amount of productivity in our world since 1984, especially amongst, again, what he calls uh, knowledge workers, but we most often refer to these people as white-collar workers. He says that there's this decrease in productivity since 1984 because of increased distractions. Well, what happened in 1984 that that really began to increase those distractions. You might have guessed it by the title of his book that I read, A World Without Email. In 1984, email was introduced into more and more workplaces, into the working world. That little fact right there, I did not even know. It was news to me since I didn't actually have my first email address until 1997 when I was a freshman at Union College and it was assigned to me. I was told that I had to have an email address because this was the way that the professors would communicate with us. Now, Newport doesn't blame email alone. He also blames all the other technologies, social engagement tools that, that we have added to our world at a rapid pace in the last two decades. And these tools, he says, have increased our distraction. It is pretty ironic for a computer science teacher to be writing about the distractions and the dangers of technology. But he sees all these things as a distraction from accomplishing those things which are most important. In fact, one study he cited really caught my attention. Listen to this, to this analysis. There was a study done in 2018, 2018, just a couple years ago, of more than 50,000 persons who do white-collar jobs, knowledge jobs, as Cal Newport puts them. 50,000 people. In fact, one study he cited that really caught my attention was this. There was a study done in 2018 of more than 50,000 persons who do what Newport calls knowledge jobs, but what we would often refer to, of course, as white-collar jobs. I would say this also includes probably white-collar jobs would include those who are going to school. But, but in this study, they discovered that, that these persons, these 50,000 people, on average, only had one hour, one hour and 15 minutes of undistracted, productive work in the entire day. A person working eight, 10 hours a day, on average, they only have one hour and 15 minutes of undistracted, productive work. When I was praying over this week's scripture, the word the Holy Spirit put into my brain was distractions. Distractions. Even as I reflected on my sermon last week about 
Ananias and Sapphira, I realized that 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 too, that story too, is a story about a distraction. Remember what Ellen White said, her commentary on that was that, that God dealt so severely with Ananias and Sapphira because of the discouragement that could creep in if individuals who are not fully committed to Jesus were allowed to be in, in, in leadership, in, in positions within the church and have status within the church, that, that these individuals would cause discouragement. And what is discouragement really? It's a distraction of the devil. Next week's sermon, as I think about it now, is also a sermon about a form of distraction. You see, Satan is always trying to impede the message of Jesus by various distractions. But in this week's sermon, there's a message that I want you to take away. Jesus has a mission for us. Satan wants to distract us from that mission. The only way to overcome Satan's distractions is a reprioritization of our hearts. Let me say that again. Jesus has a mission for us, for you, for me. Satan wants, us to, wants to distract us from that mission. He wants to distract you from the mission of Jesus. He wants to distract me from the mission of Jesus. He wants to distract the church from the mission of Jesus. The only way to overcome that distraction, those distractions, is through a reprioritization of our hearts, of our hearts. Acts chapter five, verse 12. Acts chapter five, verse 12. We're gonna end Acts chapter five this week and we'll start on Acts chapter six next week. Acts chapter five, verse 12. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. And what was the result of this? The Bible tells us, believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. Wonderful things are happening through the hands of the apostles. The church is doing amazing things. Numbers are being added to daily in multitudes, both men and women. Satan did not like that. He never does. Whenever God's message is starting to move forward, whenever a church is starting to progress in the right direction, whenever people are starting to love each other the way that they should in the name of Jesus, as Ellen White says, Satan stirs up his agents. Stirs up his agents to bring in distractions. And in this story, in this case, those agents were the party of the Sadducees. Acts chapter five, verse 17 and 18. Then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Jesus has a mission for his church. Satan wants, us, wants to distract us from that mission. The apostles are on mission. Satan sends in a distraction to drive them away from that mission. But Jesus intervenes. Verse 19. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, listen to verse 20. I love verse 20. Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. What life is that? What is this life that he wants, the angel wants the disciples to tell them about? The life of following Jesus. That is our miss, mission, y'all, to tell people about what life is like following Jesus. The hope, the good news, the joy, the power, the love, the blessing of life with Jesus Christ. What did the disciples do? They obeyed the angel. They weren't gonna let the distraction of 
just being in jail thwart them from their mission? They obey the angel. They entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach, the Bible tells us. I only overcome Satan's distractions by the reprioritization of my heart. We'll see what the priority of the disciples was in just a moment. We'll see why the disciples were immediately able to be obey the angel in just a moment. The thing is, is they don't just obey. They, they go right to where, and the angel's direction was not to, okay, we don't want you to get bothered again, so go out into the fields or go somewhere far away. No, the angel put them right in the heart of having to confront the Sadducees again, the temple. And so they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach once again. The next day, the, the high priest convened the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is like a, a senate or a house of representatives for the religious Jewish structure. They convened this meeting of the Sanhedrin to decide what they are going to do. They're going to they're vote about what they're going to do with these people who keep talking about Jesus. Remember back in chapter four, we studied about how they already warned them not to about talk, in Jesus, talk about Jesus anymore. So now they're really upset because they disobeyed them again and they had to send them back to jail. But when they go to bring the prisoners, the story tells us, when they go to bring the prisoners out of jail, they find that the prisoners have disappeared. There are no holes dug in the wall. You know, there was no Andy Dufresne from, from Shawshank Redemption with his little spoon there digging a hole in the wall. There was no bars broken. There's no guards that are beat up. There was no violent jail uprising. Just poof, they were out of jail. The guards were actually still in place, the Bible tells us. The angels took them out of there. And where are they? They're out focusing on the mission. They're not worried about the distractions. They're focusing on the mission, which is to tell people about the way of life with Jesus. Well, this makes the Sanhedrin even more upset. And they tell their guards to go get them and bring them to the Sanhedrin again, before the Sanhedrin. And they scold them. Here's what they said to them. Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Jesus has a mission for you, but Satan wants to distract you from that mission. We only overcome Satan's distractions by a reprioritization of our hearts. Peter responds in similar fashion to what he said the last time that he was thrown in jail and told not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. He simply says we must obey God rather than people. In other words, he's saying to them, I'm with Jesus, not with you. And then Peter again gives them a mini sermon. That mini sermon so upset the Sanhedrin. They, they, they just lose their mind. They're angry. They're upset. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. That sounds like a distraction again to me. When someone wants to kill you, when someone's mad at you, when someone's against you, sometimes hard to focus on the mission of Jesus. They were so enraged, they wanted to kill them. Jesus has a mission for us. Satan wants to, to distract us from that mission. The threat of one's life seems like an awful large distraction. But as you can read, if you read on the next few verses yourself, 
cooler heads prevailed and their lives were not taken. There's a whole nother sermon there about Gamaliel, the, one of the, the leading authorities on rabbinical law at the time. Cooler heads prevailed, but only for the moment. We'll see in just a few chapters that, that soon their lives were actually taken. So the disciples are called back in and, not, and told not to talk about Jesus anymore. And then the Bible tells us that they had the disciples flogged. Flogged. I looked up the word to understand, okay, exactly what is flogging in, in the Greek? What does it mean? And I looked it up, and here was the, the word that I found in my lexicon, my Greek lexicon. It means to flay, to flay something. Now, I'm not a meat eater. I, I don't eat meat, but, but I know what it means when you flay something. It means to remove the skin off of something. So, so when we read in the Bible that they were flogged, it, it's far too mild of a word. The disciples were beaten to the point that the skin was stripped from their backs. They were flayed open. Jesus has a mission for us. Satan wants to distract us from that mission. We only overcome Satan's distractions by a reprioritizing of our hearts. Seems like flogging, having the skin ripped from your back due to a beating, is a pretty big distraction. But now we get to see what the priority of the disciples' hearts was and why, no matter what, they could never be distracted from their mission. Verse 41, Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. They went out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully. They were embarrassed, dishonored. They counted themselves worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The priority of their hearts was Jesus. Jesus was higher priority than what was fair. Was it fair for them to be to be thrown in jail just for talking about Jesus? Was it fair for, for them to be, to be beaten, have their skin ripped from their backs for talking about Jesus? They could have shouted back at the Sanhedrin, what are you doing to us? This is not fair. We demand to be treated fairly. They could have rallied the supporters to take up a protest against the actions of the Sanhedrin. They could have, have fought for their honor. After all, what they did, the Bible tells us that they were treated shamefully. But none of that was their priority. They weren't going to take up those fights because they didn't want to be distracted from the mission. Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. This life of living with Jesus. That was their focus. Jesus has a mission for us. He has a mission for you. He wants to distract us. He wants to distract me. He wants to distract you. Satan has a, wants to distract you and he wants to distract me from that mission. The only way to overcome the distractions of Satan is to have a reprioritizing of our hearts. The priority of the heart must be Jesus's message over and above all other things. Think of how distracted our world is right now. We are so distracted by technology. 
We can't even get two hours of high, highly productive work done in a day. Should we doubt that Satan uses the same tools that distract us from our work to distract us from Jesus' mission for us? But, but what else distract us, distracts us? This isn't a, a sermon against technology. Does our, does our own pride distract us? Does our discouragement distract us? Does my defensiveness distract me? How often do I get defensive when someone criticizes me? They don't flay my back open, but, but just the critiques sometimes feel like I'm being wounded and injured. And I feel a need to take up arms. What about when I don't like the decisions that are made? How often do I fight over that? Am I, am I spending more time telling people about the way of life with Jesus or yelling from the rooftops about the wrong decision or the cause that I believe in? I thought about this in my own personal life. And you can apply it to your life. But I thought about this in two instances in my own personal life. And just to be very transparent about what I'm about to say, some of you might not like this so much. It depends on where you're at. But I think about all the blogs that I wrote about women's ordination in my years prior to coming here to Spencerville. I think about the petitions I signed to support women's ordination. I, I think about the arguments that I, that I got into. I was quoted in Spectrum. I know that's not, for those of you who don't know what it is, but for those of you who do, I know that that's not something necessarily to be proud of. And I can't say that I was proud of it, but still, it's the idea that my words were going somewhere. I was on blogs about the topic. I mean, I was on podcasts about the topic of women's ordination. I was invited to actually special meetings to discuss how to move women's ordination forward about the fight. Now, don't get me wrong. I support and affirm the ordination of women. I'm proud that there are actually six women in full-time ministry now that I invited into ministry that were previously not in ministry. I'm, I'm proud of that. I believe in the priesthood of all believers. But, but I have to tell you, I was distracted. Not one of those blogs, not one of those petitions, not one of those podcasts, not one of those meetings brought anyone to Jesus. Not one. But my heart made that issue a priority over everything else. Is there something that's an issue in your life that's a priority over everything else right now? Let me move even closer to home in my life, even closer to, to our recent history. I don't know if you've forgotten yet or not about the recent election that took place. Well, I got a little bit rambunctious during that election. I got a little rambunctious during that election. And one of my friends, Tim, uh, called me up, said, hey, Chad, I'm worried about you and what you're saying on your Facebook or whatever it may be. And at first I started to get defensive, but, but you know what? He was right. He was right. I was willing to get overzealous about an issue in this world that had nothing to do with speaking for the mission of Jesus.
Jesus has a mission for our, our lives. Satan wants to distract us from that mission. The only way to overcome the distractions is our hearts prioritize Jesus and the life with Jesus and the mission of Jesus first and foremost. Is there a fight that you're fighting that is distracting you? What should be your priority? That fight or, or telling people about life with Jesus? Listen to what Ellen White wrote in Desire of Ages, page 396. When it appears that God is about to work in a special manner, manner for his people, let them not be enticed into a controversy that it will only work ruin of souls. The questions that most concern us are, here's what she says, the questions that should most concern us are, do I believe with saving faith on the Son of God? Is my life in harmony with the divine law? And then she ends the paragraph in this way. Jesus made no attempt to defend himself or his disciples. How could the disciples not get distracted from the mission when they were treated so unfairly? How could the disciples not get distracted from the mission when, the, when their very lives were threatened? How could the disciples not get distracted from the mission when, 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 their, when their skin was peeled off their back? Because they'd seen Jesus never get distracted from the mission. Not even once in his life. Jesus made no attempt to defend himself or his disciples. Jesus' heart was set on one thing. And as we look to Jesus, our hearts will be set on that same thing. Teaching and proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus has a mission for his church. Jesus has a mission for you. Jesus has a mission for me. Satan wants to distract you from that mission. Satan wants to distract me from that mission. Satan wants to distract our, our church from that mission. The only way to overcome these distractions of Satan is to prioritize our hearts on the truths and the mission and the love of Jesus. Jesus has a mission for you. Satan is going to do everything to distract you from that mission. You cannot avoid these distractions on your own. I cannot avoid these distractions on my own. Sometimes we need a Tim. Sometimes we need someone else in our life, a wake-up call to come in and say, what are you doing? Where's your heart at? We cannot overcome these distractions unless our eyes are fixed upon Jesus who never opened a word in his own defense but simply set his eyes on the cross and marched to the cross for one mission to save you, to save me, to save all those that we've yet to share the mission of Jesus with. Lord Jesus, I pray, may you become the highest priority of our heart. And as we look upon you, may the distractions of Satan fall away. And Lord, may we, may we always and only and forever work only for your mission, the mission of the good news that Jesus is the Messiah.
And Lord, whatever we go through, whatever challenges we may face, may we be able to rejoice as the disciples rejoiced that we had the honor to be counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name of Jesus, to be, to be attacked on behalf of the name of Jesus, to, to struggle for the mission of Jesus. And Lord, may we be as the disciples every day proclaiming the good news that Jesus is our Messiah. In your name we pray. Amen.